0: When the time of his appearing was at hand, the announcement was made by an angel. And that heavenly messenger told of a divine destiny that awaited the child. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. The angel had an expression for what all of this would mean for the people of earth. And it could be summed up in just two words. Good news. Though most would be unaware of the child's significance until much later, his parents recognized it from the start. And not just in the way that every parent thinks their child is special. No, this was different. His mother conceived by means of a miracle. His father received instructions from heaven itself. God made sure these parents would never doubt or question the importance of their son's place in the world. If the events surrounding the child's birth were sensational, so too were his life and ministry. No one had so clearly represented God to the people. No one had so courageously challenged the religious leaders of the day. You either loved him or hated him, but you could not ignore him just the way God wanted it. It wasn't long into his public ministry before questions began to surface. They came in whispers in the synagogue and excited chatter on the streets. Is this the one we've waited for? Could this be our Messiah? Others had recently come onto the scene claiming to be the Christ, but there was something different about this man. He spoke of God as if he knew him personally. He talked about the kingdom of God as if it were coming here and now. In the end, this promising young preacher would suffer a violent death at the hands of powerful enemies. The world he sought to change would ultimately condemn and kill him. At just 33 years of age, with no children to his name, he would be violently murdered. And yet the kingdom he came to pronounce would eventually become the most potent religious force on the planet, claiming the allegiance of nearly two billion people worldwide. To the people of his day, he was known by many labels. To his followers, he was rabbi. To the crowds, he was a revolutionary. To the religious leaders, a dangerous rebel. We know him simply as John the Baptist. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the way that your word sometimes surprises us, sometimes catches us off guard. Lord, it is a living story. It is the truth of the gospel. And as we unpack it this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to all that you have for us, to the glory of the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, show of hands, be honest, how many of you were caught off guard with the ending to that introduction? (laughs) You're going back and going, wait, 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 that was Jesus. Yes, and it was also John the Baptist. All of the things that I just read to you were true of John the Baptist, and I'll tell you why that's significant to the story of Jesus in a moment. Before I do that, good morning, it's good to see you guys. Those who are online, thank you for being there. Welcome to Horizon West Church. We are in week two of a series that we're calling Unwrapping Christmas. I don't know about you, but I spent some time in the yard yesterday putting my Christmas lights up, and it was, there's a word for that, um, oh, it was a fiasco. <laughs> Not only that, but you might notice me limping a little bit today. I've, I've got a hobbled knee, I'm turning 40 next month, and I, I have no other excuse than that. I'm just getting old. <laughs> Last week as we unwrapped Christmas together in week one, we saw where John, the disciple and the writer of the Gospel of John, is beginning to establish who Jesus is and he's going to tell us that he's the word or the logos, that's the Greek word, the the embodiment of God and then he's going to tell us why Jesus matters, that's in verses one through five and John's going to say it matters because Jesus is the giver of life and the light of the world. This week we're going to continue in the book of John, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, and John is going to continue making his case that Jesus is the Messiah, the coming one that was expected by the Jewish people, and he's going to provide us with supporting evidences in verses 6 through 13 for that fact. So first five verses, John is connecting Jesus as the one who was in the beginning with God and as God creating the world. And if you're a Jewish person in the first century, you go, wait, that means he's God. And John would say, yes, that's my point. And in these verses, what John is going to establish is that Jesus is the one that the prophets predicted his coming. And if you've never read this part of John chapter one this way, I invite you to look at it with new eyes with me this morning. John chapter one, and I'm going to read verses six through nine. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came as a witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, there's a reason I started this morning the way that I did because I wanted you to experience something of what I believe the first century Jewish people felt. You may not know this, but when John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, six months older than Jesus, when he arrived on the scene, the force of his personality, the effectiveness of his ministry, the power of his spoken word caused people to go, I think this is the Messiah. I think he finally came. He's with us. His name is John. See, John fit the mold of what the people were looking for. He checked every box. You know who didn't? His soft-spoken, unimpressive cousin named Jesus. That's just the reality of the world of the first century. Jesus did not fulfill in the minds of the people the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. And it's a large part of the reason why the people simply set him to the side and said, we can't believe that there's anything special about this carpenter from Nazareth. It strikes me that as John the writer, and let me just differentiate real quick. We've got John the disciple of Jesus. He's the writer of the Gospel of John, the one that walked with Jesus for three years as one of the 12. And he's testifying about John the baptizer who came before Jesus and the disciples to make the way. And it's striking to me that John, the writer of the Gospel, takes several verses to tell us not only that Jesus is the Messiah, but to say, and John wasn't. (laughs) Did you catch that? Again, he says it a few different ways, but but he wasn't the one, he wasn't the light, he wasn't the one we were waiting for or looking for. And John is going to apply this with two words primarily in these verses. He's going to use the words light and witness. He's going to say, Jesus is the light, John was merely the witness to the light. Now, this illustration is not original to me, but you know how the moon works. It reflects the light of the sun to the earth, right? And and nobody, if they understand how science works, nobody's going, man, thank God for the moon because it gives us light. It doesn't give us light. It reflects the light of the sun. And, And as the sun is coming up and the sun is rising in the day, what happens to the moon? It falls back and becomes unimportant, And John, the writer, is going to say, you need to understand that John was not the sun. He wasn't the burning light. He wasn't the source. He simply testified to the light. And now that the true light is here, John's ministry is fulfilled. His role is done. Now, John's disciples, John the baptizer's disciples, they struggled with this, if you will, this eclipse of Jesus in the hearts of the people. And Jesus' ministry over John's. L- look at John chapter three verses 25 to 30 with me. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and they said to him, "Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him." Now now let me pause there. He's referring clearly to Jesus, the one you testified about. Verse 27. John answered. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from, to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, bear me witness. I said, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly in the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. The version I first memorized that in was, he must become greater. I must become less See, you understand that what John's followers thought was was the failure of his ministry John said no 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 this is the fulfillment of our ministry this is the reason we came now you and I would get a little bristly if a church came across the street and people started showing up there and their attendance started growing faster than ours we'd be like what's going on here John's like yes it's what I came for I came to make him known I came, if that's happening, John says, I'm doing my job. My, my role and my, my reason for living is being fulfilled. And I love that he uses this illustration of the, the groomsmen. He says bridegroom, but think groomsmen. I've done probably upwards of 50 or 60 weddings. There are some guys in the room who have me beat on that number, I'm sure. But I've officiated several weddings. I, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I was messing with my five-year-old son the other day. I said, Jonah did you know that I've married over 50 girls? He goes wow. I'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no no hold on now I need to explain this. He was just like that's cool I'm gonna roll with that. Do you know what the most nerve-wracking part of a, a wedding is? You know what the answer is right? It's, it's the best man's toast there's no question like there's just no question about it because you know, by that time in the reception, you know, you just never know, it's just dependent on what's going on and, and, and what they're consuming and stuff, but listen, the, the, worst, the worst things I've seen in a wedding, and some of the best, but, but the worst things I've seen are often the best man's toast. But you know what I've never seen a best man do? Never seen a best man try to steal the bride. Because every friend knows, that's off limits, we don't go there. You know what John says? Guys, Jesus chose me. I'm his best man. I get to stand with him. I I get to cheer him on on this, his uh, crowning moment. And I'm not going to step in the way of that. And I'm not going to try to draw people to myself. I'm going to point them to him. This is his day. It's about him. He is the groom. And I am simply the groomsman. Let me ask you a question as I ask myself the same. Is your life's mission to make yourself known or to make Jesus known? When I was a teenager in high school, I was not very funny, but I thought I was. And I was the kid in youth group that if the beat was on the one and three, I was doing the two and four, you know? You know why? Because people look at you. I was the one raising my hand and giving silly answers. I was the one when the youth pastor was praying and I'm trying to like throw things at people. I was just, I was just, and one day, he wasn't even our youth pastor, he was a college intern. So college students, you can have influence. His name was Ed. He pulled me aside after a youth group meeting. He said, hey Chris, I see a ton of leadership potential in you, but you cannot lead people to yourself and Jesus at the same time. And I was like, do I wanna fight this guy or is he like, well, what's good? But I'd I'd never heard somebody impart that kind of challenge to me. You see leadership in me? He said, yes, but you gotta decide what your life's gonna be about. You want people looking at you or do you want them looking at Jesus? business owners is your life's mission is the the mission of your business your company to make yourself known and to make Jesus known is that reflected in your company values and your mission statement we we, we put this huge dividing line we, we you know sacred work that's what I do and secular work that's what you do no no, no, no. that's not in the bible Everyone is called by God to use their work to promote the name and the fame of Jesus. So are you doing that in your business? Parents, how does making the name of Jesus known impact the dreams you have for your children? Well, yeah, we want them to get you know, really good grades so they can go to a, the best college, so they can get a great job, so they can make a, a lot of money, so they can have a lot of things and, and then die. No. We want our children to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to use an old expression, so that they devote their lives to making the name of Jesus known. Even if that means they go to a place in the world where the name of Jesus is not known and they die and their heads are cut off, but they live for the glory of God. Singles, how is this fact of Jesus' fame, how does it impact your relationships, the ways that you spend your time and money? Students, does the mission of Jesus impact your conversations, your, friends, your friendships, your study habits? John would say, listen, my whole life is about him. John measured his success in life not in terms of wealth or fame or status or even reputation. He measured it in terms of, being, uh, of, of making Jesus known. Go back to John 1 with me in verse 10, verses 10 through 13. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Here, John is going to get into what I believe are three supporting evidences for Jesus, And remember, these are anchored in the Old Testament prophets. You're not going to see that just by reading it, but if you understand the context of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospels, and what John is driving to, he's building a case for Jesus based on the prophets themselves. Supporting evidence number one, Jesus was sent into the world. Now John's not going to use the word sent in those verses, at least not in relationship to Jesus. He does use them in relationship to John, but we can infer it. He's saying, listen, John was sent as a witness. Jesus was what? Sent as light. Both were sent, but for different purposes. Or or maybe take the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You could read the word sent into that same context. He sent Jesus into the world, just as the prophets had predicted. You know, there's a difference between going and being sent, isn't there? When I'm going to the store, I do what I wanna do. Pick out what I wanna pick out. Leave with what I wanna leave with. But when I'm sent to the store by my wife, (laughs) it's different. It's expectations, it's responsibilities, there's purpose. And I don't know why this happens. I, I told this to Nikki earlier this week. Somehow or other, the, the thing that she sends me for, it, it's never exactly there. You, you know what I mean? Like if it's a Diet Coke, they've got 1,000 Diet Pepsis, but no Diet Coke. You know? Like, like if it's a, if it's a, a you know, 100-load uh, laundry detergent, they've got 50. Like I, I just, it's like, do I get two? It's like, it's, it's nerve-wracking. Right? Because being sent matters. You've been commissioned. You've been sent. Jesus came as one who was sent into the world. That's why he said, I don't do anything of my own will. I do only what the Father has told me to do. And this is what the prophets predicted. Listen to Isaiah chapter 61 and verses 1 and 2. In fact, this is one of the premier verses in all the Bible predicting the coming of Jesus. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Two words I want you to underline, highlight, or at least make a mental note of in those verses. Anointed and sent. Did you know that the word Messiah, we've talked about that a little bit. In fact, uh, Justin referenced it in the worship time. The word Messiah just means anointed one. And Isaiah is gonna say, there's one coming who's gonna have an anointing of God, a special anointing of God, and he's gonna be sent into the world. And it is no coincidence that this was the first sermon Jesus ever preached. Luke chapter four, he opens, he asks for the scroll. They hand him the scroll. Now imagine this being the sermon this morning. They They hand him the scroll. He opens to this place in Isaiah. And he reads these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, in fact, he he said it. Not just infer it, he said it. He handed back the scroll, said these words are fulfilled in your presence and sat down. See, I want you to know this because some people will will, kind of circulate this myth that the people that came after Jesus just kind of pretended like he was something great, but that he himself never claimed it, you know? That he was just a really good teacher, but then his followers were like, no, 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 we're gonna act like he's the Lord and the God and Messiah. No, 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 the truth is, Jesus made dozens of direct claims of equality with God and of being the Messiah sent by God into the world. So number one, supporting evidence. Jesus was sent into the world. Number two, Jesus was rejected by the world. Did you know that the gospel is in large part a rejection story? I have a few of those. I'm going to share one and then save myself dignity on the others. You know, being single is tough, tough sledding, isn't it? Like, don't, don't wish to go back there. There was this girl when I was in college, my junior year of college, her name was Beth. And I was just convinced that, that I was supposed to be with Beth. Um, but she was not convinced of the same. And, and, but I'll tell you, man, when you're in college, this is some wisdom that you don't have. You don't read the room real, real well. They were, being in Florida, you know, this is the destination for spring break. And so uh, I went to college in Indiana, but like every spring break, everybody came here. And I was like, this is perfect. So this girl and her friends were going to a theme park that no longer exists in Orlando. And I won't even tell you the name because if you don't know what it is, it sounds like something else. But the point is, that's where they were going. And I'm like, hey, can I, can I meet up with you guys? So, yeah, that's fine. You know, so I show up, and there was this other guy there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, one of her friends must be uh, talking to this guy. Well, you know how the story goes. We get, back to, we get back to Grace College in Indiana, and I'm like, I'm fine, I'm gonna do it. Like, I'm gonna get past the friend zone, and I'm gonna ask her out. Like We're gonna go see a movie, because that's all there is to do in Indiana, is go see movies. And she's like, okay, sure. And I'm like, great. So, and then I go to pick her up, nothing happens, 10 minutes go by, 20 minutes, I call her and this, this is how she lets me down. She says, Chris, I'm so sorry, I forgot I had to run to Walmart tonight. Like I said, I'll save myself dignity on not sharing the others. The truth though is this, that's easy to laugh at. I'm glad I didn't marry Beth and I'm sure she's glad she didn't marry me. But some of you have rejection stories that cut much deeper and have wounds that are much bigger than that. And what I want you to know this morning is that Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. Let me go one step further. John says, Jesus came into the world he made and came to the people he created and came to redeem. And they said, I want nothing to do with you. Jesus understands what it's like to be shoved to the side. Women who have been hurt, who have been shoved to the side by a boyfriend or maybe even a husband, Jesus knows your pain. Men who have been abandoned by fathers or, or, or treated badly by other guys, Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. He felt the sting of rejection personally. Now this seems counterintuitive as a evidence for Jesus being the Messiah, but I want to tell you that it's not. Isaiah chapter 53, another famous messianic prophecy. Let me read these verses and and see if you can connect the dots here. Isaiah 53, one through three. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah's is going to say, hey, when the Messiah shows up, if people don't think he's anything great, and they overlook him, or worse, they reject him and humiliate him and kill him, it doesn't, it's not because he's not the Messiah, maybe it's because he is. And what happened is that the Jewish people wanted a Savior or a Messiah, that they could easily recognize and accept. It's just not what the prophets predicted. Do you know that sometimes we miss God's best gifts because they come wrapped in suffering, in rejection, or in hardship? Well, I don't don't want that. (laughs) So that can't be from God. No, no, no. Sometimes it's through the rejection, it's through the suffering, it's through the hardship that the presence of God comes near, that God makes himself known and that we grow as people and we grow in our faith. Let me get to this third evidence and take some time on it. Evidence number three for Jesus is this. Jesus is reconciling the world to God. And notice that I use a different uh, uh, word there. I didn't say Jesus was reconciling the world. He was sent. He was rejected. He is reconciling the world to God. By the way, aren't you really glad that rejection didn't stop Jesus from his mission? How easy would it have been for Jesus to go, fine, you don't want me? (laughs) I'm a sinless son of God. I was sent for you. If you don't want it, I'll just go on my merry way, and we would all be lost if he had. But Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he is reconciling the world to himself. Verse 12 of John chapter 1, I I absolutely love. Verse 12, because it has this one word that is so important. It says, but. The world rejected him, but, or the NIV says, yet. And I would encourage you, if you write in your Bible, just draw a cross right there at the word but. Because that but is the gospel in a word. The the, the people rejected him, they shoved him to the side, they wanted nothing to do with him, but there were some, and they took a different approach. They had a different response to the Jesus who came then, and there are some who have a different response today as well. It was interesting, I was thinking about these terms this week of, of being born into the family of God, John says that they have the right to become children of God. And it just so happened I saw two things and when you're you know, preparing a talk like this, sometimes you just see things that you otherwise wouldn't recognize. So I was at Starbucks the other day and I see a guy wearing a t-shirt. It says, just be a good human. <laughs> Spread love, joy, hope, kindness, and some other things. I thought that's interesting. You know why I thought that was interesting? Because I tried to be a good human and failed. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say, just be a good human, just try harder, just be better. The Bible says all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm driving uh, on the 408 a couple days later and I happen to notice a bumper sticker I had never seen. I've actually got this on the slide behind me. See if you, uh, you might've seen this. Have you guys seen this bumper sticker? It says born okay the first time. In other words, I don't need to be born again. I'm fine just as I am. I was born okay the first time. Now here's the problem. I cannot be good on my own and I wasn't born okay the first time, I needed a rebirth. I needed a do-over. I needed the power of God himself to live in me and flesh itself out through me to have any chance to be the kind of person that I desire to be. So the question is, how does that happen? How does rebirth happen? How how can a person have their sins forgiven? How can a person become part of God's family? John's going to give us two simple words in verse 12. He's going to say, believe and receive. Believe and receive. Let me go quickly to John chapter 20. I read this uh, last week, but I again want to tell you the reason that John wrote the gospel, because this is all tied into his purpose John's not just throwing a whole bunch of things at the wall going, I hope this sticks. I hope this story sticks. I hope this illustration. He's he's weaving a story that will convince people of this. John chapter 20, verse 31. These things I have written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So believe, but you need to know that it's not enough to just believe the way we think about belief. Right? Right? We'll ask children, do you you believe in Santa Claus? Do you believe in God? We put put all these things at the intellectual level. Do you believe these things are true? That's not the kind of belief the Bible is talking about. In fact, let me take it one step further. One of Jesus' brothers, James, wrote a letter that's in the New Testament. It's just called James. He said, let me tell you something about belief. Even the demons believe and they tremble in fear. Right? Because just knowing in your head and believing, yes, I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he came to earth, that he died, that, that he was resurrected. Just believing that's not enough. You have to believe and receive. And that makes all the difference in the world. There are a lot of people who believe intellectually and they show up at church every Sunday and they sing the right songs. But they've never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They're still kind of doing this. Believe it here. I don't really want it making a difference in my life. And John says, if you would do these two things, if you would believe and you would receive, you can have life in his name. You can have the right to become a child of God. The other night, my family put up our Christmas tree. We did that first. Lights came second. Soon, we're going to be placing the gifts under the tree. Nikki has done a phenomenal job of getting all of those uh, already ordered and, and delivered. But I want to tell you that there was another tree and there was another gift. And that tree, we call it the cross or Calvary. And the gift was the man who was on the tree. His name is Jesus. And just like on Christmas morning, you're going to slide a gift over to somebody and you're going to receive a gift from somebody. What you're not going to do is go, hey, I believe you gave me this gift, thank you. You're going to tear that thing open. And you want to know and you want to see and possess what is in that box for you. Scripture says if you would receive him, just like you're going to receive those gifts on Christmas, if you would receive Jesus, you can become a child of God. And then it gets good. Because the gospel is more than just about saving us. The gospel tells me that not only have I been saved, but I have also been sent. Jesus said to the disciples in John 16, he said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I am sending you. So if you think Jesus's mission was important, well, yeah, it's important that Jesus was sent. Jesus says, yes, yes. And in the same way, I've sent you. Jesus's mission is carried out as we go into the world and draw people to him. Now. I said that wrong, the Holy Spirit draws people to him. But we sound the alarm and we give the invite that if you would come, if you would receive, if you would believe that you could have life in his name. I have a vision for this church and it goes well beyond this but it includes some of these things. I envision us being a church where we see 600 or more people regularly attending weekend services every Sunday, filling this room. I envision being a church where we have over 300 people participating and many of them already are in home groups around West Orange County. I envision a church where dozens of men and women are finding hope and healing through Celebrate Recovery and through other ministries and programs the church provides. A church that has kids and student ministries filled to overflowing and bursting at the seams. A church where people are being saved and baptized, being sent to the mission field overseas or in their own office, wherever God has called them. And I believe this is God's vision for us as a church, that we would not just say, Jesus, thank you for coming, but that we would understand we have also been sent into the world as he was. We wanna give you some opportunities to do just that this morning. One of those is some Christmas Eve invite cards. You heard Carmen talk about it. And what we're gonna do with these is we're gonna take them to our neighbors. We, we In the past, we didn't do it last year because COVID changed everything in 2020, right? But we, we oftentimes make cookies and put a little Christmas Eve invite in them and, and deliver them to the neighbors. Maybe you wanna take a picture of that and text it if it's easier, but we wanna just begin to invite people to come to hear the good news of the gospel on Christmas Eve at our four o'clock Christmas Eve service. And there are many other opportunities like that that you're gonna hear about in the next two weeks. On your way out this morning, I wanna talk to two groups of people. One, if you're a a first time guest with us this morning, I would love to meet you. Um, I've got a gift for you. There's gonna be a tent outside, it just says new here, and I'd love to hear what your favorite Christmas movie is, give you a gift and just get to know you a little bit. If you're here and you have a passion to defend and support life, both in the womb and also the lives of children who are in foster care or in need of adoption, we've got a table in the back. We've got a couple of women there. You're gonna see the table. We don't normally have it there. Just stop by there and learn about some of those tangible ways that you can be involved in promoting life in our world. The team's gonna lead us in a moment as they do. Would you go to prayer with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to to hear from your word and to be reminded that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. The Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God, I pray for anyone that might be just still wrestling with whether or not that's true. God, would you illuminate their hearts? Would you enlighten them to to see the truth that only comes by revelation? It only comes because you make it known to us. And God, for those of us who who have taken that step, those who have believed and received, God, would you help us to then position ourselves as ones who have been sent into the world. Lord, give us even tangible ways, an invitation to church, asking, hey, can I pray for you? Asking to hear their story and to share our own. Lord, give us ways to introduce the good news of the gospel to those in need of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.